NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. It's 8 o'clock on today. Coming up, kids in crisis. The average American teen will spend 30 years of their life behind a screen. Screen time quickly becoming this generation's most defining issue, impacting all aspects of a child's life. I'm on my phone about 10 hours a day. The stakes could not be higher. One in five children say that they have experienced bullying as it relates to smartphones. This morning, we're devoting the next hour to the issues impacting families when it comes to these devices, the tolls they take on development, mind, body, and soul. After, you know, I start seeing pictures of thin models and thin bodies, the content slowly but surely progresses into blatantly harmful content. The experts sounding the alarm on their overuse, plus practical solutions you can start applying this morning to help your kids begin to develop healthier relationships with technology. A special event for the full hour no parent can afford to miss today, Friday, October 20th, 2023. Let's go. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome back to you today. Friday morning. It's a special one. We're going to devote the next hour to an issue that every single parent is probably dealing with, maybe even this morning as we speak. You know, we've been talking about doing something on kids and screen time for quite some time. It's gotten to that crisis mode we know from ourselves, our friends, the Surgeon General of the United General States. And all. Yeah. So we're going to focus yep. on the challenges, but also the solutions. solutions. Yes. It's, it's mm-hmm. never too late to make a change. So we're going to get into that in a bit. Let's do the news here at eight o'clock this morning. The Israel military is saying the majority of hostages kidnapped by Hamas two weeks ago are alive and still in Gaza. And in the meantime, Israel has massed even more forces for the expected ground invasion of Gaza. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel joins us with the very latest. Richard, good morning. Good morning. I am in the Palestinian city of Ramallah, which is on the West Bank. And earlier today, there were demonstrations here. They were demonstrations against Israeli airstrikes in Gaza in solidarity with the people of Gaza. But they were also in support of Hamas. People on the streets were carrying the green banners of Hamas, calling for more attacks against Israel, more rocket fire. This comes as the Israeli military made what could be a big announcement of the what it says, 200 hostages taken by Hamas. It says they are still in Gaza. And critically, the Israeli army believes that they are still alive, most of them still alive. The Israeli military said that 20 of them are believed to be under the age of 18 and that 10 to 20 are over the age of 60. But this big announcement is that Israel says most of its hostages are still living. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Last night, President Biden appealing to the American people for help on two very different wars. In a rare Oval Office address, asking for billions of dollars in aid for Israel and Ukraine. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. Hamas, While the president warned of the Israel-Hamas conflict spreading into a wider war, it's already expanding, with anger against Israel and the U.S. spreading across the Muslim world and Iranian-backed militias starting to attack Israel and U.S. military outposts in the Middle East. Israel's defense minister visiting troops and telling them they'll be seeing Gaza soon from the inside. 
Israel has called up around 360,000 troops, mostly reservists, for the ground offensive, expected to focus on northern Gaza, where Hamas militants broke into Israel, killing 1,400 Israelis and kidnapping more than 200 people. The Israeli military is already attacking Gaza from the air with unprecedented force, flattening entire neighborhoods. The health ministry in Gaza, which is run by Hamas, says around 4,000 Palestinians have been killed so far. Our crew in Gaza filmed at a hospital after what multiple witnesses say was an Israeli strike on a house where families were sheltering in southern Gaza, where Israel told Palestinians to go for safety. And overnight, Gaza's small Christian community says it too came under attack when a church where Christians were sheltering was hit. The Israeli military says it did carry out a strike near the church against what it called a Hamas command center and that the church wasn't the target. And the expectation is that the anger that we are seeing here and in other parts of the Middle East is only going to pale in comparison from what could come after an Israeli invasion. Back to you. Richard, thank you very much. Police in police in Western Maryland are investigating the death of a judge who was found in his driveway last night with multiple gunshot wounds. 52-year-old Judge Andrew Wilkinson was pronounced dead at the hospital. His death was ruled a homicide. Police did not provide any immediate information about a possible suspect or motive. Judge Wilkinson had joined the Washington County Circuit Court less than three years ago. For the second time this year, an American journalist has been detained in Russia. This time, Alsu Kormasheva is a dual Russian-American reporter. She works for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, which is funded by the U.S. government. Her passports were taken away in June after she flew to Russia for a family emergency. On Wednesday, she was charged with failing to register as a foreign agent, and today her detention was extended for at least three more days. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich was arrested on espionage charges back in March, and he is still awaiting trial. Coming up next, guys, we're going to kick off our special event, the State of the Union, one way to put it, when it comes to our children and screen time. We are going to lay out exactly what's at stake, the challenges facing parents and the solutions that all families can use. And we're going to do it all with a wide ranging group of experts who have your children's best interests at heart. That's coming up right after this. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
We're back 810. We are ready to begin our in-depth look at a defining issue facing parents and children right now. We are talking screen time. Yeah, it's become an alarming problem at all hours of the day. In Mm -hmm. fact, nearly one in every three kids are online. Get this, between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. We'll dive into that and more. Let's get a first quick check of the weather, Mr. Roker. All right, guys, we are looking at a lot of wet weather here in the east as this rain increases along this front. Strong storms in the southeast. Sunshine from the upper Mississippi River Valley all the way down into the Gulf. Numerous records highs, numerous record highs out west with plenty of sunshine. And that's your latest weather. Savannah? Al, all right, we are ready to kick off our special live event this morning, Kids in Crisis Screen Time. This is so important to us. We are passionate Mm -hmm. about it. So many parents across the country are talking about it. Moms groups, dads groups. We're going to dedicate the rest of this show to it. I feel like we've all been there. We've seen the scrolling, the games, the videos, the texting, all of it. And simply put, a lot of children and also, we should say, adults struggle to even put their devices down. So over the next hour, we're going to address how screens and phones can impact a child's health, the many, many questions parents Mm -hmm. are facing. And we're going to hopefully give you some tools, too, to navigate pretty rough waters. But we're going to start this morning with a closer look at exactly what is at stake. I love the escape. Screenager. You want to keep scrolling and scrolling. I'm on my phone about 10 hours a day. Everything's on the phone. Nobody really like speaks face to face with people anymore. I'm just like stuck on the phone and I just can't get off. The average American teen will spend 30 years of their life behind a screen. Is social media safe for my kids? Growing evidence of harms. Social media use may compromise the mental health of young people. Endless access could be fueling addiction. She was being pushed content about body image and self-harm. When we think about giving our children smartphones, it's like putting a two-year-old in the driver's seat of a car. There would be a crash. A new warning about something else, social media. This is not the first social media challenge to cause harm or take lives. Smartphones are almost like a perfect storm. A teenager does not yet have their frontal lobes fully developed to say, this might be risky. Like years past when everyone was smoking and everyone thought smoking was fine and now we know smoking is not so good for you. Their risk reward system, seeking reward, the chemical dopamine is more active in this window. Our teens risking their lives for the likes. A deadly social media challenge using Benadryl put a 13 year old in New Jersey in the ER. A dangerous trend among teens, the choking game or blackout challenge. And it is almost unfair in a sense that teenagers have this kind of access at a time where they may not have the ability to fully understand the consequences. These tech products want kids to share more, post more, create more stuff, because that helps feed that engine. It's trying to profile kids to know what might you click on next, what brand can I align you with? So when your child gets profiled, that's an unfair battle. I just want to like relax a bit before bed, so I'm scrolling. And then I look at the time and I'm like, oh my god, it's like 1.30. You get so sucked in. It can be really addicting. They can begin to really hinder your life more than they do help it. She was like, I am doing my homework. Like, no, you were watching TV or you were watching TikTok. It's always that, like, battle. I think it's really dangerous, the algorithms that are out there, in terms of what they learn about children. It's like a really deep hole you could go down. We don't really know how those algorithms are going to impact the brains of kids. I've seen a couple of my friends see a post on them and it can have lasting effects. 
Instead of liking yourself, it's how much everybody likes you. My video is not getting as many likes as my friends. Why are these people not commenting and telling me how pretty I look? It just switched into like consuming you. You're like fearful of what's gonna happen. Why am I getting so consumed in my head? Why am I getting upset with myself? I would get so consumed, I had to like delete Instagram at one point for like a few months. The most common words they associate, depressed, angry, and alone. What I believe is the defining public health issue of our time, and that is a youth mental health crisis. When you look at that rise in teen depression over time, it coincides with the rise of smartphones and the rise of social media. No one gave me a playbook, no one told me or warned me about how my digital habits would impact my mental health. Social media became this magnifying glass for my emotions, and it actually almost led me to take my own life. You find your child lifeless in her room at 3.30 in the morning. And she had a locked note in there. If I can get through it, I want you to understand what she put. But behind the social media life, nobody knows the real me. And how much I struggle. Sixty-seven percent of children are saying that they hide information from their parents online and in social media. Parents are trying to swim upstream. Social media makes them feel worse about their body image. Kids who use more than three hours of social media a day face double the risk of depression and anxiety symptoms. I worry about how my daughter is going to think of herself. Is she going to compare herself with others on social media? Is she going to feel anxiety? The case of social media bullying. Increased exposure to cyberbullying. One in five children say that they have experienced bullying. Us as parents, we need to start banding together to hold the social media companies accountable. This is an opportunity to teach your child how to thrive with digital technology. Know where it has a time and a place. Wait as long as you can to give your child a phone. When kids didn't have like iPhones and stuff, and they had more flip phones, I think they were able to be just a kid. The best thing that we can do is give our kids the tools that they need to flourish in the digital age. Wow. So now you know why we're here. Mm-hmm. This hour is really important. And joining us now, Dr. Jenny Rodeski, a pediatrician and co-director of the American Academy of Pediatrics Center of Excellence on Social Media and Youth Mental Health. We also have Tom Kirsting, a psychotherapist and author of Disconnected, How to Protect Your Kids from the Harmful Effects of Device Dependency. And Catherine Perlman, she's a family coach and author of First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. We're glad to have you with mm-hmm. us. Dr. Rodeski, let's start with the science. Mm-hmm. And actually, what I really want to talk about is what we don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine anything else you would hand to your kids not and let them have that much access to it, not really knowing the effect it's having on a developing brain. There haven't been long-term studies. And as a clinician and a researcher, I usually tell parents these devices were originally designed for adults. That's why it feels so hard. Mm -hmm. If you go back to Steve Jobs' first, you know, uh, presentation of the iPhone in 2007, they were so excited to be packing so much stuff into this one little device so you could take your life everywhere. But they weren't thinking about kids at all. So there's been a lot of just reactive, um, you know, resolution or addressing of problems once we discover them. And there's a real reason kids are not little adults. That's mm-hmm. why this feels hard. Kids have a lot of different stages of developmental 
emotional regulation that's occurring through early childhood, middle childhood, and adolescence, where devices can get in the way. Let's talk about the science isn't there. There aren't great brain scans of a nine-year-old brain before and after being on an iPhone. But 60 Minutes did do something back in 2018, and the NIH has done some preliminary studies, and they found they had some slides of scans of a nine-year-old and 10-year-olds who were spending a lot of times on screens. And it showed this, which I thought was fascinating. More premature thinning of the cortex, that's the wrinkly outermost layer of the brain that processes information from the five senses. We won't know for years what is happening to our kids' brains, but we know it's probably not great. So what, what, where are we at this point when it comes to brain development in kids? I think there's so much cool research coming out about this, looking at how the brain is responding to different aspects of social media um, or smartphone use. But you're right, we still have this gap in knowledge. So the best thing we can do as caregivers is try to understand what our kids are going through. When you're an adolescent, you are living with this brain that's really, really sensitive to social rewards and rejection. Yeah. You have this frontal lobe that's still coming online, right? So it cannot yet um, inhibit all of the impulses and emotions you're feeling. Mm -hmm. That is why it can be a really tough mix with social media and smartphones, but it's also why kids are drawn to them. Yeah. It's a perfect storm. I mean, I, I read the American Psychological Association said, other than the first year of life, adolescence is yeah. the most significant and important change that happens in our brains, in our life. That brings mm -hmm. me to you, Tom. You are a psychiatrist, but you also were a school counselor. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the moment when smartphones came on the scene and the impact you saw it having on the front lines at, at your school? So I'll put it in perspective. So I worked in a public high school from 1995 to 2001, 25 years, uh, 2000, 2001. Around 2012, okay, I started noticing this major change taking place. So prior to that, occasionally a kid would come down to my office having a panic attack, you know, an anxiety attack of some sort. Starting in 2012, I started getting more kids coming to my office in the nurse's office per week having panic attacks than I used to get per school year. And at my private uh, counseling practice, starting at that time, I started getting more referrals for middle school age kids with major anxiety disorders than I had gotten collectively in the previous and 10 years. Did that years. coincide with smartphones coming on the scene for kids? That's when they smartphones became mainstream in 2012. Yeah. And from that point on, this problem has just escalated and worsened. Well, the problem is, too, a lot of kids got bullied in school back in the day, and the kids these <clears throat> days are getting bullied in school, and that bullying comes at home, and then that bullying comes in, into midnight scroll and they get lost in this loop. And you, I mean, I actually feel helpless sometimes when I think about some of the kids out there who need us. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is when you look at an adolescent, I call it the, pur the purgatory stage. Yeah. Right? You're sort of stuck. You're not a child. You're not an adult. You're somewhere in this middle area trying to figure out who you are. And, and that's, you know, and that's like a feeding ground for anxiety and self-esteem issues. Right. So I, I say, you know, adolescence, the perfect, you know, one word definition is insecurity. Right. That's natural. It's normal. But now you layer in all this other stuff, all this feedback they're getting, right? Um, likes, streaks, followers, and they yeah. think it's making them feel good. But when you look at the word self, self-esteem, the word self and yeah. self-esteem is the important part. And if you're distracted by the modern-day weapons of mass distraction, the smartphone all day long, how do you know self? How do you know who you are? Well, and a, therefore, how do you have confidence? You're, you're getting this dopamine hit. We all feel it. You get a ding on your text yeah. message, an alert, a like, or whatever. With, with kids and the particular vulnerability that they have with this developing brain, it's like, are they getting this high and then... Do you have to keep chasing a bigger and bigger high? So it's, you know, might change them fundamentally mm -hmm. is the question. Yeah, yes. well, my, my latest book, Raising Healthy Teenagers, I talk about 
um, something I've been seeing a lot of recently. It's called oppositional defiant disorder. And essentially, kids that are just being, you know, defiant and oppositional towards their parents, punching holes in the wall, cursing at their parents. And a common denominator is that they're on these these modern day weapons of mass distraction and, and, they, and they target the pleasure seeking part of the brain that produces dopamine. And you don't want to have too much dopamine. It's like a never ending IV drip. And when that stimuli is removed, the phone, the video game system, you have a crash, mm-hmm. a withdrawal that manifests itself behaviorally. Mm. So but, but about 30 days, if, you, if we can you know, unplug for 30 days, get a kid to do that the balance would, would return. But I want to point yeah. out, it's not only pleasure-seeking. A lot of the way we as parents and kids use our devices is just to let our brains take a rest. When we interview kids, they say, I just have been having such a hard day. I need to not think for a while. I'm, I'm actually avoiding the next day or my sleep because they are pretty stressed out. So understanding that that, too, is a driver, not just Well, I this. feel like with that, the funny thing is, is like I've given my kid the phone at the doctor's office mm-hmm. because they're feeling stressed. But then you don't ever learn how to regulate your stress because the minute you need a, a, a break... The thing is slid right in front of you. Crucial in early childhood when they really need us and play and moving their body to learn how to manage their own emotions. But I also think what's cool about adolescents is they have abstract thought. They have opinions. They want to talk about this stuff. And so thinking of it, you know, I I think of it optimistically as when I talk to kids, you know, I have an eighth grader at home. They're curious. They want to talk about this. They want to be part of the solution. And so that if that's one thing parents take away is... Mm -hmm. Have conversations. Well, that's, it does feel, Catherine. I mean, I deal with it with my own kids. They're only Mm -hmm. six and nine. They're begging me for a phone already. Then I talk to my friends who have older kids and they say, Oh, we gave in, we gave the phone. And now my whole relationship with my kid is transformed. It is only about that phone and the access to the phone. It's just, it doesn't feel like a fair fight and parents need help too. We do. We need help because it is like we've talked about this amazing computer that does all of these things. It's, you know, hitting their dopamine and all these things. But we there are ways that we can help. You know, we can limit the hours that they use it. We can limit the number of hours they can spend on social media. I've had to limit my own hours on social media. And I think that's important to talk to kids about. It's not just me telling you what you have to do. This is a problem for all of us. Yes. We all have to improve I think our trying, ways. I think some parents are probably thinking, trying to tell my 15-year-old who now, you know, is pr- practically about to drive a car that, hey, you're not going to be able to use this phone between that this time and that time doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, but the thing is... It- if we say absolutely you cannot have your yeah. phone in your room and we Period. stick to that pretty quickly, they give it up, yeah. but yeah. they can tell when we're wishy-washy and then yes. they dig, you know, they push, what about I, I got to yeah. jump in here real yeah. quick. Okay. So, so I did a survey of my own, my final year at the high school. I, I asked the following question to a hundred high school students over the course of that school year that would come to my office. And I said, it's not, it's going to stay confidential here. I'm not going to use anybody's name. And the question I asked them was what time do you go to sleep on school nights? And 92 out of those 100 kids told me that they went to sleep between 1 and 4 a.m. every night of the school week and that their parents had no idea. Yeah. That's because the phone is in the bedroom. That's the number one tip is get, get that darn thing out yes. of the bedroom. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, wait, we're going to keep getting into it, but we want to hold off giving that phone as long as, as, possible. Long as possible. I'm trying to hold on to as childhood on behalf of my children. Yeah. We'll continue the discussion. Thank you to all of our excerpts. We should mention we have a wealth yes. of information on today.com as well. Coming up, guys, we are going to hear from teams on the impact of social media on their everyday lives, the steps those companies are doing to address concerns, and we have an audience of parents and they want answers to difficult questions. As we head to the break, here's something to consider. New research, 200 notifications on your phones every day. We're back after this. Hey 
She's got to get a hold of Pip. Okay. She's got to get a hold of Pip. Let's get one. I got you. This is an awesome crowd out here. We got a little bit of rain, but it's warm and nice out here. Guys, we just started a really important conversation. We are spending the entire hour talking about screen time. We just heard from our experts about what's at stake. And now we want to hear from parents and for kids and for them to have their own say as well. Yeah, so we're going to hear from teenagers. And we're also going to give a voice to, to parents like this particular group that we've assembled inside Studio 1A. There they are right there. They're dealing with this issue every single day. In fact, guys, right now, raise your hand if you've gotten into an argument with your son or your daughter over over their smartphone. And you can raise your hands out here, too. And even out here. Look out here, too. Oh, out here. We had a lot of hands up. In a moment, they're going to share a little bit more about the issues that they're facing, and our experts are going to answer answer their questions as well in real time. And as we chat with them, guys, keep this in mind. Nearly 70% of parents feel parenting is more difficult today than it was 20 years ago, and two of the top reasons why technology and social media. Yes, yeah. yeah, so there's all these problems, but we don't want to just highlight the issues without coming up with some solutions. So also on the way, we're going to share what some of these social media companies are trying to do to help out these problems. And of course, our experts are here to give us some solutions. And even some devices that might be yes. a compromise in yeah. a way, and a lot of parents are concerned about safety. Is there a way to, to straddle that? So Al, let's get a check of the weather. All right, let's show you what we got for your weekend, or I should say for today. Rain increasing in the northeast, strong storms down in the southeast. And then you get past the Mississippi River Valley going to be spectacular. All right, that's your latest weather now. Best time of the weekend, Sunday night, football night in America. It's the Dolphins going into Philadelphia. Taking on the Eagles, clear and windy, gust to 30 miles per hour or more, 52 degrees. It's a battle of two 5-1 teams coming up Sunday night, football night in America. We love it. Never gets on. All right. We've got such a huge crowd. Such a huge crowd. We're going to go around the horn here since you've been out in the rain all morning. His first birthday was here. He's celebrating his 16th birthday here. Happy birthday. Here we go. solutions when it comes to kids and screen time. We've got Kate Snow here with a really honest and eye-opening conversation with teens. Let's find out how they feel about all of it. And parents standing by, they've got questions and we got experts. So we'll continue right after this. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the true crime original. He would lie his way into their dreams. He was looking for James Bond girls. How fun would that be to be a Bond girl? Then twist them into a nightmare. 
This guy has done this before. He'll do it again. Until a group of women banded together to put him behind bars and keep him there. You have to participate fiercely, fiercely in what happens next. I'm Keith Morrison, and this is Murder in the Hollywood Hills, an all-new podcast from Dateline. All episodes of Murder in the Hollywood Hills are available now. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. We are back with more of our special event, Kids in Crisis Screen Time. And it is time to hear from the kids themselves. Yeah, how do they feel about their devices mm-hmm. and the time they spend on them? NBC's Kate Snow is here with that part of the story. Hi, Kate. Hi, good morning, guys. By the age of 15, 86% of kids have a smartphone, according to Common Sense Media. And the U.S. Surgeon General says 95% of teens, 13 to 17, are using social media. There are a lot of positives, right? Connecting with friends, for example. But there are also some very real risks. 21-year-old Sophie Shev clearly remembers the moment she joined social media. It was the day of her 10th birthday party. I was someone that grew up pretty heavily bullied and someone that struggled to fit in socially. So when my peers told me that there was this app that they were downloading to stay connected to each other, um, to expand their social life, I thought that if I downloaded it, it would help me fit in too. She downloaded Instagram and followed a few other students. But Sophie says when she turned to the Explore page, she saw content from accounts she didn't follow. And when she started clicking on posts about models and weight loss, she says it took a turn. It went from swap out a candy bar for a carrot to this is how to hide your food, how to avoid eating completely. Sophie says the content helped lead to her eating disorder. She was hospitalized 13 times starting at the age of 15 when her doctor delivered this dire warning. He looked me in the eyes and said the insurance called and asked for your prognosis. Um, And I had to tell them that you are going to die in the next couple of weeks. Your heart, liver, kidneys, they're all failing. Sophie made major changes in her life and she's in a healthier place now, going to therapy and taking a two-year break from social media. And her story is not unique. When asked about the impact of social media on their body image, 46% of teens 13 to 17 said that social media makes them feel worse. Back in May, the U.S. Surgeon General issued a warning calling the youth mental health crisis the defining public health issue of our time. We see rates of depression and anxiety and suicide and loneliness going up among young people. And I'm concerned that social media is an important driver of that. The Surgeon General points to 2019 research finding teens who spend more than three hours a day on social media face double the risk for mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And a lot of American teens are spending more time than that. A poll this month found just over half of teens say they're spending at least four hours a day on social media apps. Favorite app? I'd probably say like TikTok. TikTok. Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Ah, we have a divide. I sat down with 15-year-old Elizabeth Kreitzberg, 13-year-old Josiah McLean Long, 16-year-old Megan Finichel, and 17-year-old Eric Woodbury at their school outside New York City to learn about their own social media use. Josiah, what does it look like when you start looking at TikTok? Uh, when I'm looking at TikTok, like, it's just so many funny videos and I just keep scrolling. I think, like, when I'm scrolling, I'm just forgetting and just avoiding everything else in my life. I watch TikTok, like, to fall asleep. These teens say they don't use filters to change their appearance when they post on social media, but they certainly see a lot of that. 
What about your friends? Do your friends use filters? I have one friend. She uses a filter on every single photo, every single video. I don't know what she looks like for real anymore. I haven't seen her in a long time. How much of your mental health do you think is tied to using the phone or screens? Do you see a connection there or not? Not so much now, but definitely like when I was younger, like two years ago, I was more impressionable to like what I'd see. And I was definitely more down on myself then. What were you seeing? People like with the filters or like people with the unimaginable bodies that are all fake, perfect. all fake and perfect. And it's like, why can't that be me? You know, most of their parents follow them on social media. My mom does send me a lot of TikToks. My dad, like Insta Reels and stuff. Like, it's mostly, like, funny stuff. They also tell me they've taken steps to have a healthier relationship with their phones. Megan says last school year, she would sneak her phone into her room at night. This year, her parents make her literally hand it over at 9.30. My work wasn't getting done. I wasn't getting good sleep because I was scrolling. Because it seems like scrolling at night is the only free time we have. That's what it feels like anyway. But I guess now that they take my phone, I'm getting much better sleep. As for Sophie, she's now a sophomore at Stanford and a mental health advocate, meeting with President Biden at the White House last year. And while she's back on social media, she says her relationship with it is different. Social media now is a place of learning, but it is a place where I have to be able to make informed decisions in order to protect myself and to protect that 10-year-old Sophie every single day. In the years since Sophie's experience, Instagram has made changes. Meta, Instagram and Facebook's parent company, tells us they don't allow anyone to encourage or promote eating disorders. And they remove content when they see it, whenever they become aware of it. NBC News also reached out to a lot of other social media companies about safety measures for teens. Snapchat, for example, has in-app parental tools. It's called the Family Center. It allows you to view your teen's friends and who they've messaged recently. You can restrict sensitive content. You can report any concerns. Concerns that you have. TikTok told us they set a one hour daily screen time limit on teen accounts under 18, but the teens can enter a passcode to override that and continue watching. A lot of teens will tell you yeah. they know the passcode. Yeah. But Kate, thank you very much. Let's keep the conversation going with a group of parents who definitely understand these struggles in this battle over smartphones. And to answer their questions, Dr. R.G. Allen Wilson, a relationship therapist who helps families overcome mental health challenges, including the challenges of screen time. She's also the author of Courageous Conversations Connect. And Larissa May is a digital wellness activist and founder of Half the Story. So Larissa, what was your wake-up call? You're young. You're a part of this generation not too long ago. When did you realize this was a real problem? And what's your message to those out here mm -hmm. listening today? My wake-up call is when I almost ended my life. And when I went to the psych center, they asked me about all other forms of wellness, sexual wellness, physical wellness, but not digital wellness. And I was spending between 10 and 12 hours a day. My message and what I built was an organization to solve this problem. And we know that technology isn't going anywhere. So I believe we need to live in a world and give kids the tools to have active and healthy relationships to achieve digital flourishing. RG, um, a lot of parents give their kids uh, phones because they say, I want my kid to be safe. I want in case she needs yeah. me or he needs yeah. me. When really what we've seen throughout this hour is the boogeyman is actually inside the phone, <laughs> not outside the phone. But if you are going to give your kid a phone, what are some things that you should do to make sure you do it properly? Yeah, hold on. You got to remember the phone is a powerful tool that you're putting in the hands of your children. Yeah. And it's like putting a two-year-old in the driver's seat and saying, drive. Yeah. You're going to crash. So 
The children's brains aren't fully developed. The parents have to guide them just like anything else. So open conversation, not one or done. Having the conversation, what are you going to do with the phone? How are you going to manage the phone? If you're going to feel uncomfortable with the phone, here are the signs to look for. Yeah. What are the danger signs? Those are important. And then also thinking about, all right, now that you have open communication, the protective factors, know the codes, know the accesses, know the social media platforms that those uh -huh. kids are on. Mm -hmm. And then make sure that you have access. Yeah. Your parents are not your friends. Yeah. Really, at the end of the day, you're the parent. Your job is to protect them. Yeah. And so have that access. Mm -hmm. Let's get some of the parents' questions. We've got Wanda Rodriguez. She's got a 12-year-old daughter. Hi, Wanda. Hi, What's Wanda. your question? Um, so I seem to find that every time I ask my daughter to put her phone down, it turns into a fight. Yeah. How can I get her to put her phone away without causing an argument? This is such a big issue. Yeah. Is I mean, huge. parents say this is like the only thing they're fighting yeah. about anymore. Yeah. yeah. So Wanda, Wanda and all your other parents, thank you for asking that question. You're not alone. This is a community conversation. Mm -hmm. This is not your the individual conversation. You guys got to talk to each other. What are you doing with each other? And for your daughter or for your sons, then find common ground. There's always going to be some common ground. Means keep that lines of communication open. The common ground might be, okay, we're going to stay on the phone less. We're going to use the phone at certain times. We're going to have tech-free free zones. Would that have worked for you, Larissa, when you, you were in those shoes? I definitely needed boundaries. Yeah. And I didn't know mm -hmm. how to have them because my brain was still developing. Yeah. Yeah. And the boundaries are going to lead to fight. I always think about this as yeah. a parent. It's like, boy, parenting is hard. Yeah. Letting it slide is so, so much easier. easier. Sometimes you're just not in the mood to fight, so yeah. we give in. But You can't give in. Right. We can't. You can't let's, give in. Let's get to our next question. We have uh, Diana Napier. Uh, she's got a teenager at home. She's got a question. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Um, how do you foster open communication yeah. with your children so they feel they can come and talk to you if they see something online that makes them feel jealous or scared? Uh -huh. Well, the reality is, is that tech is very emotional. There's so much fear. We're often pointing and yelling at our kids for being on their devices. But more often than not, like I did, I escaped through my screen to numb out. The best thing you can do as a parent is to be vulnerable yourself and to sit down and to hold your teenager because they need that more than they need finger pointing mm -hmm. and ask them, hey, social media has been making me feel really bad about my body. How mm -hmm. does it feel about you? Mm -hmm. Lead with curiosity. Mm -hmm. Ask them not just the bad things, but also what really excites you about being in the digital mm -hmm. world? Show me because I have no idea mm -hmm. what for you page is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, we want to play a clip. This is from Project Healthy Minds at, at an event. It's a nonprofit. And just last week, there were two parents at an event. Carson was there. Tony and Brandy Roberts, their 14-year-old daughter, England, died by suicide. They learned she was depressed after opening up her phone and finding a locked note. Tony had a message he wanted to share. We thought we should share it with you. Mm -hmm. Take a listen. One of the things I really want the world to know, please know your children's unlock code. We knew her unlock code. We knew her passwords. We knew everything. But I just didn't know how to navigate through these platforms. I mean, that's it. Yeah. You can set all these rules. Yep. And right. if you don't understand how to use it, Larissa, I mean, it's yeah. like we keep saying it, it's not a fair fight. Yeah. How do you what do you do? Well, for parents, you have to make space. And I think we talk a lot about boundaries, but we also have to make this fun and bring a play and creativity into this. So a lot of times we say, have a screen, screen, screen free scavenger hunt or do deep fake bingo or you're bringing your, bringing your family together to try to identify what's true and what's not. We also have to remember that parents are the models, just like any other substance. Mm -hmm. We look at our kids. How do we save them? But you have to save yourself first. And you said, RG, at nighttime, 
lock the phone up. Yeah. I mean, Al Roker did that with his son. Yes. He took his kid's phone. He put it in a in lock a box yeah. in a safe and said, see you in the morning. Yeah. And it may cause a huge to do. But afterwards, they've slept that night. They've woken up in the morning and Absolutely. they can start again. It's like tech-free zones. Create yeah. tech-free zones. Create opportunity for talking. I like to say green time over screen time. Go yeah. out and talk. In the car, don't miss the opportunity to get off the screen and be the model for your children because you're creating a different culture. It's a wake-up call for all of us. Grown-ups. Believe me, my, yeah. my kids are the first ones to say, hey, mom, you're on the screen. Yeah. So guess yeah. what? We can all do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, RG and Larissa, thank you so much to all of our parents. Thank you. And Happy you can find more answers on today.com, including the resources that Larissa talked about her nonprofit has to offer. Mm -hmm. Guys, over to you. All right, we're going to keep it going up next. Our tech expert, Jake Ward, is here to offer even more practical solutions, even some alternatives as well. What you can do today to change the atmosphere around electronics in your house. But first, this is Today on NBC. Welcome back all morning long. We were talking about the impact of screen time. Now we want to focus, Craig, on some solutions. Yeah, so we brought in NBC's tech correspondent, Jacob Ward, is here. And you can follow along with his tips by scanning that QR code that's on your screen right now. Jake, let's start with some of these these alternatives. Yeah, so we as a family were put in the same position that so many of today's guests were trying to figure out with a 12-year-old, what do we do, right? So we have a pledge at our school that I helped to to pilot, which basically is a a pledge that we won't give our kids smartphones until they get to high school at the very earliest. You're all in on that together. We're all in that together because you cannot be the only one. Yep. Right. If you do, your you kid is help. isolated and you're stuck. So in our case, however, we knew that our 12-year-old was going to begin making friends, you know, uh, at camp yep. and doing sports and giving them my number is not appropriate. And so we got them this. We got them a light phone. This thing is essentially the, the dream phone of the 1990s. It essentially gives you only talking, text, music, That's it. maps, and a calendar. And if, there's a couple others, but and the big thing it doesn't white, have, and this is the thing, is it doesn't have a camera. Now, these other ones here are some starter phones. There's one called Gab. Uh, there's there's a couple of them here that are, uh, you know, designed to kind of acclimate your kid in a way to the smartphone experience. And over time, you can unlock more apps. I want to say right now, though, even though the American Academy of, of, of Pediatrics has found that 12 is the average age that kids start to get a phone, that doesn't mean you have to do this. We had to get one in order to create a socially appropriate way for my kid to be a little independent yeah. and get around. Right. This is what I was comfortable with. You know, a smartwatch, this kind of phone, maybe that's the way to go for you. But for us, no camera Jake, was the absolute bright red The light. Pediatric Academy says 12. What is, what is the real age? When are kids getting phones? I mean, they're getting them on average of 12. By 15, the finding is that almost all kids have a phone in some form. The question now is, what do you do? And especially, what do you do if the kid already has a smartphone? There are apps you can get. There's a couple of them specifically, one called Bark, okay. one called Custodio. And these are apps that you can use to monitor your kid's use of the phone. It can filter out gambling sites. It can filter out porn. But the other thing that you're walking into in this one is you're having to have a conversation with your kid saying, I'm monitoring your phone. Because if you try and sneak around on them, if you monitor their background or you monitor where they are in the world without telling them, I think that destroys your relationship with yourself. You hit the nail on the head, though. Isn't the real solution in the local community to set up, just in your school district, a meeting with the other parents to go, hey, we're all in this together. That's right. Let's set the standard of the age. Let's set the devices. No TikTok, no Instagram. You guys, Carson, it took me two years to get together with all these parents. And I think fundamentally everybody was really on board. We only have a couple of people who were resistant. Everybody wanted to be involved. But it took two years of meetings to try and figure out how to do this. And the standard you had to set was 
high schools, the b- very beginning of any kind of smartphone, much less social media, which for everybody was the thing. They 30, wanted to 30 seconds. You cover Silicon Valley. Yes, yeah. A lot of people say Silicon Valley executives don't let their kids have phones. You guys, if you look at one of the most recent posts by Mark Zuckerberg that shows his kids, he blocks their face out. Yeah. You know, it is no clearer than that that those guys understand what happens in the long term, both when you feed your kids' faces into these companies and when the hardware uh, you know, gets into their hands. I think we should follow their lead yeah. and maybe adopt something other than the traditional smartphone. I hope they're and, doing something And we're going to put all the information about these. It'll all be seen to look at on today.com. Thank you. You can find these tips and more again by scanning that QR code, or you can go to today.com. We're back in a moment. This is Today on NBC. I think we should do this again. I do Don't too. Don't you think this is the first of many? It is, and it isn't to make people feel bad. It's to say, let's do something about it, guys. We're parents. Parents can yes. do anything. We want to thank our friends at Woodland Middle High School for helping us with this morning's event. Thank you again. All the courageous people telling their yep. stories. We have a lot online, a lot of materials. I want Jacob Moore to put him? his pledge online. Yes. We'll do that. 